season of Take the Hill Leadership Podcast. Uh, so we had a little bit of a creative break uh, during the big portion of 2022. But as you can tell by the smiling faces by my compadres here, uh, we are all excited to be back. So Dennis, Angelo, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Patrick. It's good to be here. Yes, it is so good to see your smiling faces. <laughs> beautiful as ever. Beautiful as ever. Well, I wouldn't say quite beautiful, but uh, Dennis is looking quite stunning and with the uh, little beard happening there, right? Yeah, that beard well, is legit. There's a, there's a little story behind that. My, my uh, wife, as I get older, she said that uh, I'm getting uglier, so I have to cover more of my face. So, you know, hey, I complied to the wife's request. That's all. Okay. Well, that's a perfect segue to wherever we're going, I suppose, right? <laughs> so we for the ZZ top look. ZZ top look. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, again, thank you, everybody. Uh, like I said, we got a lot of feedback during, like I said, that period of time. Um, so like I said, we appreciate you hanging tight. And like I said, we have some big stuff uh, that we're planning for 2023. And, you know, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I wanted to take the time. Uh, just to ask Angelo and Dennis, you know, what you've been up to in 2022 and what's new, what's exciting, what's happening in your world, guys? Angelo. Well, yeah, Angelo, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, let, let it be me. <laughs> See, we'll get this timing figured out again. Don't worry. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, uh, the things that I've been up to are a lot of the same and a lot of different. There's been some life changes on my end. I have a new space that I'm sitting in for a studio, so I've moved around a little bit. New settings, new beginnings, new year, which I think is going to be a little foreshadowing into some conversation that we'll be having here a little bit later. But just been kind of keeping the the dream alive, working hard at Point Park and doing the student conduct stuff and teaching a lot more classes and, you know, just trying to set up some good vibes for 2023. That, that's That's been my jam. I still have my Spinning Thoughts podcast that I do, and we're ramping that back up here for this uh for the 2023 year so yeah things are looking good that's fantastic man cool. and like i said we'll make sure to connect about uh spinning thoughts here before we leave today just to keep our audience uh up to date with what you're you're doing lots of cool stuff there dennis yeah yeah, yeah as always uh it's been a busy year i continue to teach at several different locations or different universities uh, that keeps me pretty busy, but I did uh, some new things. I, like I mentioned about the older, as you noticed, the beard's a little grayer. Uh, I've been building the cabin all last year, uh, getting ready for uh, retirement home. Not the retirement home, but this <laughs> will be my retirement home. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, that, that's been really exciting. My wife and I are looking forward to getting up into the mountains near the lake on the boat, but I'll never really retire. I'll still keep teaching, still keep doing stuff like this. So it's uh, it's just pretty busy this year. That's all. Nice. Looking forward to a good year, though. Oh, and I took on another role as a president of the faculty union here at IUP. So that helps keep me busy as well yo nice yeah certainly no doubt um with each between both of uh, the amazing things you both have going on uh certainly a lot of topics that will be woven into i think many conversations we'll have in the coming months um beginning today right what about you patrick i mean we can't forget about our our fearless host 
<laughs> what, what's, what's been going on with you and what are you up to lately? Yeah, thank you. No, it was uh, a fun year. It, it's driven pretty much by kids, right? So, you know, just hanging out. Our kids are a year or two older now, right? So just chasing them between soccer, swimming, sports, and school, uh, as well as, you know, just everything that's always going on at uh, the Roland School of Business and Point Park University as a whole. As a whole. Um, you guys know me. I love trying new things, being inventive, being dynamic. So, you know, once we get one project launched, you know, I have about 50 other ideas that I want to try. So uh, like you said, just having uh, having the opportunity to continue to do that, uh, hang out with my family, kids, having a great time. Everybody's healthy, happy. And, um, you know, our students are awesome this year. I can't say enough about the, the group that's here this year. They are so energized. Um, you know, we're only in week three of this spring 2023 semester. And you know, they have floored me from the get-go. I mean, they're just super engaged and, and just awesome and ready to be here. Yeah, no doubt. I want to shout out the School of Business because I feel like every time I go on Instagram or I, I get some sort of newsletter from the university, there's just always a spotlight on different students. Um, one in particular, Edwin De La Rosa. Um, I saw that he was spotlighted. I think, um, I can't remember the student's name who interviewed him. Uh, it might have been um, Natalia, possibly. That's who, that's who it was. Yep. Um, he's doing great stuff in student affairs. He's an office worker there. He's a grad student. He really wants to kind of help lift up others and and maybe even change the world. So it's that's just one small example of many that I just always see coming out of the school of business. Always um, that that part of the university is always pushing out the good work that students are doing. And yeah, I think that there's a lot of good energy for the students in the school of business. And I'm looking forward to working with them even more. Yeah, and that's right. Edwin, you know, shout out to Edwin. He's again, he's killing it right now and soon to hopefully be passing his CPA. Uh, and he wants to go right back to Brooklyn where he came from. And and even beyond that, I think, as you described, he really just wants to help other others pursue their own passions and dreams. And he's just one shining example of, of students who are doing this across the university. It's uh, it's just fun. Right. Really cool place to be right now. So. Yeah, so how we're going to help this year, right? So we're back, right? After, like you said, a little creative break. So take the hill. Uh, as you may notice, the website's a little bit redesigned. You know, we cleaned up our mugs a little bit, perhaps even. <laughs> so made ourselves a little bit more spivvy. But uh, content-wise, yeah, I, I think the idea is just to continue to showcase uh, our amazing students, what's happening within our universities, uh, both here, IUP, and elsewhere. Uh, just just like you said, and continue to share you know, these amazing guests that we have the opportunity to bring in and talk to. Um, in between that, we're going to weave in some new segments, uh, possibly taking a little bit look at crazy technology that may have predated even some of us on the show, uh, highlighting student work, student progress, and then even some pop-up podcasts on the street. Uh, you know, So our promise to you is to at least get out one good show uh, that's a little bit, I won't use the word curated because... We try our best, but at least once a month and then maybe one or so other smaller, you know, pop-up podcasts as we go through uh, to fill the time between those. So, so we're looking forward to it. We're happy to be back. And I think Dennis uh, sitting in front of the picture window over there has something to say. Yeah. I just, you, you said some of us predated. What do you, I didn't know. Were you referring to me? Um, Pretty much. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll get to I'll get to say a lot. Well, I remember in the day, uh, and you always get to hear the old people say that. So back in the day, you know, we walked uphill both ways to school barefoot. 
So, you know, we had it rough, man. All right, everybody, we are now honored to be here with Dr. Brittany Brinkton. Dr. Brinkman, welcome to the show this morning. We're excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, everybody, Dr. Brittany Brinkman is an associate professor of psychology and the director of clinical training at Point Park University. Uh, she's also the director of the social justice psychology research team here at Point Park. Uh, we are super excited and honored to have Dr. Brinkman here today. Uh, not only is she an expert in psychology of gender and social justice, uh, but we're going to talk to her today uh, about a topic that's on everybody's mind around this time of the year, which is New Year's resolutions, right? So Brittany, you know, Dr. Brinkman, is is won numerous awards and recognitions across her field. Um, again, she's an advocate. Uh, she's an incredible researcher and just an awesome person uh, to call a colleague. And believe it or not, even in her free time, you know, she enjoys yoga, hiking, and running outdoors. Uh, so again, uh, Dr. Brigman, it's honored to have you here today. So thank you. Yeah. So Dr. Brinkman, I'm really excited to have you here as well and to be able to ask this inaugural question. As Patrick was saying, this time of year, people are kind of looking to reevaluate, recalibrate, uh, make some changes in their lives and, and kind of feel support of the masses kind of going through this change into a new year. Uh, I like learning about this and, and, and even playing around with New Year's resolutions myself, but I think it's always pretty interesting for something like this, like a large scale thing that happens every single year to get some insight and some understanding as to why people even do this. So I'm curious if you'd be able to expand for our audience here today, what are the origins of establishing New Year's resolutions? Yeah, this is a great question. And um, I agree. I think your resolutions are really interesting and a lot of people do um, do explore them. Um, so I did a little actually investigating because I was curious myself about like, well, where did this come from? Um, so, and it, it looks like there are historical accounts like throughout human history of different cultures um, using the new year or other points of transition um, like solstices or planting times as an opportunity for reflection. Um, I actually, my what, my younger brother uh, just happens to be a classic scholar and a, an expert in ancient Rome. So I, I reached out to him and I was like, what do you know about this? Um, so, and so he told me that um, there was uh, the God Janus who January is named after. Um, and he was the God of like transitional spaces and times. And so, um, there was some evidence even in ancient Rome that people made out um, to Janus um, as sort of part of this time of transition. So he said it wasn't really clear how widespread or common practice it was, but that there were maybe even roots then of this practice. So, you know, to me, I think when I see something that that a lot of people have done across a lot of cultures over time, it suggests that there's something meaningful about that for people. Um, over half of Americans tend to make New Year's resolutions. Um, so I think that that opportunity to pause, to reflect on the year before, to sort of step into a new year with an opportunity for doing something different, for um, setting goals, for thinking about what's ahead, seems to be something that a lot of people really feel called to. So um, so yeah, I think it's something that, that we've been doing um, in different ways and different kinds of traditions uh, throughout throughout our history. You know, I've, what, 
one of the studies that I have done and, and something that really interests me is motivation. You know, I've studied a lot on motivation. And I guess I would ask and, and add on to it, Angela was saying, but does it really motivate individuals uh, to improve or achieve goals? Um, you know, so many times we hear about individuals saying, oh, I do this and, they, and a week later they're, but where, what is the motivation? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's true. I think while a lot of people set New Year's resolutions, a lot of people also don't keep them. <laughs> um, and some studies suggest that probably everyone has had a resolution they haven't kept, right? So, um, and and I think for some people that actually then becomes demotivating, right? And so what matters, I think, is less whether or not someone sets a resolution, but how how they approach what the resolution is, how they're going to think about it, how they're coming into it. Typically, if somebody already has a motivation for change, then the resolution becomes a support for that, an, an opportunity to kind of give yourself a nudge, right, of this is what I'm coming back to. And I think what I what I tend to talk about or focus on is thinking about them a little bit more as like intentions or practices um, and really thinking about it's an opportunity to consider how you want to live your life rather than I'm going to achieve this specific outcome. Um, the really specific outcome-oriented resolutions, I think a lot of people struggle with, with holding on to. But when we think about how do I want to be in the world? What's important to me in my life? How can I set an intention to live that way every day? Then the, then it can become, again, uh, support, right, to kind of keep going when something's hard, when something's challenging, that if you're, if you're trying to practice, if you're setting an intention for something, and it's really rooted in what you care about, um, then it's not really that the resolution is giving you the motivation to do it. The resolution is really a support to work on some goals that you have or to improve an area of your life um, that you've sort of made a commitment to yourself that you want to do that and a, and a reminder to yourself um, to keep working on that thing you care about. You know, one of the, I, I think one, one that we all, well, I embrace every January, I got to think about diet, and I think that's one of probably the biggest resolutions out there. Yeah. And, but, but, you know, I, I, from what you were telling me or what you're just saying, it becomes more of maybe we shouldn't be calling it diet. Maybe you should be calling it lifestyle change or making your lifestyle change. So, I mean, from your experience, do you, is it how it's presented or how you present it to yourself? I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the really common ones that a lot of Americans make are diet, exercise, and sleep. And I literally have a client who's a teenager, and those were hers. And we're like, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to sleep. But I guess I'll exercise. And so, you know, there's these things that, and they are the ones that people set um, some kind of goal or activity for themselves that then they don't really do. And so I think getting at why, what's the deeper goal there? What's the deeper thing that you care about? So, you know, trying to say, Oh, I'm going to stop, you know, eating some, some food that I really, really love. Um, it's hard to stay motivated to do that versus I've, I know that I like to feel healthy and strong. And so what helps me feel healthy and strong? Like maybe drinking more water. When I notice when I drink water, I actually feel better. Or I notice um, if I do get some fruits and vegetables in my diet, like I feel better, right? I, and so focusing less on what is this particular activity, but what's the deeper motivation? If the deeper motivation is to feel healthy and strong, if the deeper motivation is to feel well-rested, you know, sleep hygiene in, in the U.S. is 
pretty bad. <laughs> and so, but it's hard for people to break the habits that, that get in the way of sleep. Um, and when it's just like, I'm supposed to do this, uh, it's not as motivating as the days I wake up and I feel really rested. I had a really great day. And then my motivation is I enjoy feeling well rested or I enjoy feeling healthy. Um, that, that I think is more motivating than I'm going to cut myself off from something that, um, that I enjoy, right? We, we tend to do the stuff that makes us feel good. Well, that makes Jeez. me feel, as I say, that makes me feel a little bit better because I was thinking about grabbing lunch with Dennis after this show. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe just go with a yeah, little healthier well, choice, yeah. right? <laughs> Right. And now I, you know, I think that's a great example too, because, because we also have a lot of motivations and, and, you know, food often comes in, in those times when we connect with other people. And so being healthy, eating healthy, um, feeling good it is an important motivation, but also like connecting with other people. And so if, if a meal that may, even if it's not the healthiest meal you've ever had um having lunch with somebody you care about and you enjoy that connection with, like, I think leaning into that's important. I mean, I'm used to having cupcakes on my desk, but today I brought an apple. <laughs> Just because of it. <laughs> nice. That's good, Dennis. So can you, can you, Dr. Brigman, elaborate a little bit more? And I think this is really fascinating. As you talked about, it's, it's connecting to the deeper motivation. So mm -hmm. from a cognitive perspective, how do, how do resolutions work? Like, or what's yeah. the way we should think about them differently? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's there's two things that I think about with this. So one is the cognitive approach does matter and can really help us both in what what resolution we set and then whether or not we keep it. So one is trying to approach it from a growth mindset. Um, so you might have heard this term, but it really comes from positive psychology, and it's the way it's a way of thinking about how people approach challenges. So thinking about how if something is challenging, right? Some of our some of the resolutions we set are things that we want to do, but they're kind of hard for us, right? Um, and so if we approach a challenge as an opportunity, an opportunity for growth, an opportunity to try something that maybe we're not there yet, but we can get there and we can work toward it, um, that we're more likely to keep doing that than when we set a resolution that is, you know, something that we feel like is makes us feel terrible to do, um, is really hard to do. And then we tell ourselves we have to do overnight, right? Like most of us don't do that. It's, it's not terrible. It's hard hard, it's challenging. So we can set resolutions that are challenging for ourselves, but when they're rooted in something we genuinely care about and they're tied to some deeper purpose, and then we approach it as, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I even sometimes call them practicing. I'm practicing, right? We don't have to excel at everything we practice. We're practicing something because we're learning how to do it and we're getting better at it, right? So I'm practicing getting more sleep. I'm practicing connecting with others in a particular way. I'm practicing meeting deadlines, like whatever it is, there's space for yourself to that to like be working on it. And that growth mindset um, is a way to approach a challenge that I think really helps shift from I did it or I didn't do it, right? And getting away from thinking about, oh, I said this resolution for myself. This is where, where they tend to break down for people. They, people said it, they feel like I really mean this, I'm going to do it. And then they don't do it. And then they're like, I should just abandon it because I failed at it. And instead not that if you think about it as something you can't fail at, you just keep practicing each day, you come back to it. Um, it's a lot easier to, to stumble and not maybe do your resolution and then come back to it. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. 
I really like um, that elaboration because I do feel like not, I think that like new year's resolutions can be like a microcosm to other aspects of life where it feels like it's all or nothing. There's no gray area. There's no incremental steps forward, but really life is all about the increments. It's all about the small wins and those turn into larger wins and overall satisfaction. And so that, that feels pretty motivating and also reassuring to know that like, Hey, like maybe you don't get to the finish line, but certainly like if one of your practicing steps is to sleep a little bit more. Hey, if you're, if you're going to bed 30 minutes earlier or something like that, and maybe you're doing that a couple times a week, that's a win. That's, that's three days more than you did last year. And maybe it wasn't the five days or the seven days that you were shooting for, but you're still able to make some positive change. Any positive change should be celebrated. Um, and, and I do feel like there is kind of like this connotation with new year's resolutions where a lot of them are pretty serious. Some of them, feel like they it, it, it's all or nothing and has to happen or it's a complete failure but to kind of bring in a little bit more lightheartedness into the conversation because i know patrick dennis and i certainly can only be so serious for so long um in your time working in this space working with people helping people uh, what are some of the funniest new year's resolutions that you have come across whether people are trying to do it in a humorous way or maybe somebody's really being serious about something but yet it it, it is a little has a little bit of a funny bone to it. What have you come across? Yeah, I love that. I loved this question. And, and, you know, what struck me was, was I think kind of what you're saying is that I, I haven't come across a lot of resolutions that, that have some humor to them. And I think that's part of the, what doesn't work for us, right? That they do tend to be these like things that are like, it, we experience as being really unpleasurable and really challenging. And, and then we are like, I'm, I'm going to be really serious about it and make happen. So I think that one approach actually to have some lightheartedness to our resolutions and um, some playfulness to it and to not even take ourselves too seriously. Um, my, my, I tend, like I said, I tend to set sort of a big discern intention. So mine for this year is to live my best life every day. Right. And it's intentionally a little tongue in cheek, right. Cause it's like, what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> um, so, but it's this way of like, how do I think about each day, um, finding joy in the day and finding gratitude and not letting, you know, stressors in my life kind of like be the focus. And so, you know, I'm, I'm using this kind of like some humorous thing for myself to think about it. Um, so I think that that actually adding some humor can help us create re resolutions that um, that we don't have to hold on to so tightly as this sort of like miserable thing we're going to do. And then we don't do it, we like beat ourselves up about it. And it's like, well, yeah, no wonder people don't do that. <laughs> like, but like, why? Why would we keep doing that? So having some fun with them, um, making them, you know, a little bit a little more lighthearted and playful. Um, and for me, you know, I, it's serious. Like I needed, it's a way I'm dealing with some stress in my life. that's really important for my health, but, but, but I'm, you know, it's literally on a post to note on my fridge written that way. So when I see it, it's also a way to sort of like a reminder to myself um, with like a little bit of tongue in cheek in there. Dr. Brickman, I, um, I may be going down a rabbit trail here and, uh, or a rabbit hole, maybe that's what it's called. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I'm going to like go back to what you were saying earlier and, and that word failure and mm -hmm. society has a tendency to put such a negative connotation on failure. And I teach my students sometimes, you know, failures are good depending upon how you look at them and so forth. So, I mean, society, it, it's so negative just to say the word failure. So, I mean, 
What's your what's your take on the the idea? Yeah, I agree, and I I think there's a couple of ways that people can use this in thinking about resolutions. I think I, I agree that the idea that failure is a bad thing. Um, to how do we sort of explore that and let go of that a little bit? And that's part of that idea of growth mindset is that it, failure meant you tried something. Failure meant you went for something and you didn't get it yet. You weren't there yet, right? Like you didn't meet some expectation or goal. Um, and it shows you where you're at, right? It's a, it's sort of like a feedback loop when you try and you're like, oh, that's, I didn't quite hit that mark. Then you know where you're at. And so I think when we take the, the sort of like, um, judgment out of a failure, um, then that can help us try things and know, okay, well, I can get there later, or this is this is where I'm at right now, and I'm going to kind of push myself to the next level. Um, and so I think that's really helpful for people. And I think, I think too, sometimes, especially if people are, get really stuck there, I think setting an intention that you can't really fail at, right? If it's something that like you, it's something, again, that, that sense of like you're practicing, you're, you're trying all the time, um, then there's less of like, I did it or I didn't do it, right? There's more room for um, how did it turn out? What was the process? What was my, like, what's the intention behind it? Um, but I, I think it, I agree with you. I think it's a, it's, we need to reframe how we think about as failures, as attempts at something um, that doesn't, it doesn't have to be a bad thing when, when we don't succeed at everything, you know, that we try. And uh, just leading into that um, as well, I'm, I'm one of those individuals, what makes people tick? What, what are they always thinking? What causes them to think a certain way? So how do you, how do you think resolutions connect with our cognitive functions? Yeah. Yeah. So I think thinking again about that growth mindset, but I, I also think one of the things for New Year's resolutions is that people sometimes are too focused on the cognitive part. Uh, so they set a resolution that that they think is good for them, but it actually makes them feel terrible. Right. So what we have to do is recognize that we are more than our thoughts and we are motivated by more than our thoughts. How we how we frame what we're thinking does is important, but it, we also feel certain ways. Some things make us feel certain ways. So if we explore um how does an activity actually make us feel? And what are the feelings we want? We want to feel more connected to other people. Do we want to feel accomplished? Do we want to feel proud of ourselves? Do we want to feel less? hectic and less frantic. What are the things that make us feel that way? Instead of like, I think I should do this. <laughs> I think this is good for me, right? And you can find things that meet both, right? So think, you know, if somebody wants to get more exercise, um, they might think I should go to the gym three times a week, but they hate going to the gym and going to the gym makes them feel terrible and they, they're miserable and they dread it and, and then they're not going to go, right? But if they, they want to get more exercise and going on long walks at the park with their dog makes them feel good, that can be your resolution, right? And it, it doesn't, it can still meet the underlying intention of getting activity, but not just sort of setting yourself up to do something that you should do, who cares? You know, like who says, <laughs> who says you should go to the gym, right? Um, but doing something that you know is, feels, feels right for you and is helping you feel the way you want in your life to meet those goals. I think that's an interesting way to to break that down as well, because I feel like, you know, people sometimes make these New Year's resolutions to fix things. But uh, it, it almost reminds me kind of of like when you you're watching TV and you see like this commercial for like a new medicine or something like that. And they're like, this can help your 
you know, your breathing. And then at the end, they list like 50,000 things that could also do negatively to you. Yeah. It feels like sometimes like we make decisions to try to better ourselves, but at what cost, you know, um, or maybe we're deteriorating mental health along the way uh, just to make some small little incremental change somewhere else. And is it really even worth it? But um, the, the, the question that I want to kind of pose to you, and I hope that I'm able to phrase this correctly, because I, I feel like I've thought about this the last couple years around this time of year, or at least I've experienced this. I'm just curious maybe to your thoughts or assessment or evaluation on this. But uh, the older I, I, I continue to get every year, as I talk to people more about New Year's resolutions, I, I feel like I'm getting more people that are like, yeah, I don't do New Year's resolutions because, you know, if I want to change something about me, I'm just going to do it at any point in the year. I'm not going to wait until a new year. I, I Again, I, I used the word microcosm earlier, and I feel like this is just another example of like in life where sometimes people, it's like both things can happen, right? Like you can make incremental changes throughout the year, but also use a symbolic time where a collective group of people are going through the same thing to also make a change. It doesn't have to be one or the other. What is your assessment of like people who kind of approach New Year's resolutions in that capacity? Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think that the, the, traditions and rituals and community really helps us, right? And so I do think we shouldn't just think about how we're living our life in January, right? Like, so it's good to have points around our, our year that we're, hey, I, I want to shift to this or I want to try this new thing. But I totally agree that utilizing that momentum um, of the new year and other people are kind of in it too and taking some time. I actually have kind of a whole ritual around reflecting on the year before and getting ready for the new year. Um, and one thing I think there's a way to bring those together that is really helpful, which is building resolutions that are things you've already kind of started working on, right? You already planted some seeds of a change or you did something you're like, oh, I really liked that, but it's not in my routine yet. Um, that the new year resolution can be an opportunity to like strengthen that. So I was trying this new thing and now, okay, the new year, this is going to be part of my resolution is to really focus on and build time for and commit to myself and maybe tell other people in my life because they're going to help me too. Um, but it's, sometimes it's helpful to do something you're already kind of trying, right? So it doesn't have to be, like you said, all or nothing. You're either, that's the point where you do new things and never, <laughs> nowhere else in the year are you trying new things. Um, uh, so I think you can really build on changes, um, that can be a time to really sort of solidify and lean into, lean into a change. Yeah, that's such an interesting response, Dr. Bourbon, because I think about, you know, as we emerge from the pandemic, like, what did we miss the most? It was those relationships yeah. in that community, right? So it's, it's interesting to think about New Year's resolutions in that fashion as, as a society or as a group, as a culture, we're all kind of moving through this period of time. I also, thought was pretty interesting that you you brought up the point that you know when we think about resolutions typically it's I gotta go do I gotta go here I gotta start but then you also did mention that hey I also gotta rest or I gotta balance I gotta reflect that was really interesting and I don't know that a lot of people think about that because again when it's resolute resolution mm -hmm. like, I need to go I need to do but it's also equally as important maybe slow down in certain yeah. parts yeah, absolutely. And sometimes a resolution might be to do, stop doing something that isn't serving you, right? To do less of something. Um, and to, I like that making, creating space for rest and reflection 
is really important. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Dr. Brigman, we want to thank you so much for sharing your time and talking about this interesting topic, because uh, I think you've illuminated you know, certainly some facets that I think I, I know I certainly have not thought of. Um, so I definitely want to thank you for, for taking that time with us today. Uh, but we also want to give you the opportunity to at least let us know a little bit about, you know, maybe a resolution if you want to share for 23, uh, yeah. as well as some other projects you're going to be working on uh, just professionally or academically and how people can kind of follow your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, one of mine for this year is to to live my best life every day. <laughs> um, um, I also am uh, really working on um, something uh, called uh, being like critical yeast. Um, and this is a term that came from a podcast on being, if people aren't familiar with it, but um, I, that's part of what I'm really thinking about in my work. Um, so I do a lot of advocacy work and I'm doing a project um, this spring actually on um, addressing street harassment in Pittsburgh. Um, and we're doing a big arts-based advocacy project. And this idea of critical yeast is that small, even small groups of people um, can really engage in making change happen. That even if it starts out small, it can grow and build and become like a bigger, um, a bigger initiative. And so, um, for me, and sort of some of my like um, advocacy work, I'm really homing in on this idea of like how do how do I be critical yeast? And it's often collaboratively, right? It's like how do I work with other people who care about similar topics? And and you know, we see these huge problems and long-lasting problems. And if we're trying, you know, they can feel really hard to change. Um, and sometimes it takes that that critical yeast to sort of start start the movement and start something um, happening. So uh, that's that's sort of my what my what's on my agenda for like my workspace a little bit. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on our podcast. Uh, it was very interesting and I really enjoyed it. Um, but as you're thinking about your schedule, I know that uh, Angelo and Patrick had made a request to see if you could help me out this year, <laughs> to figure out what's wrong here. But uh, but if you could even think about that, we'd really appreciate it. But thank you again for being on the show. I found that it was fun and it was very interesting. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like I said, Dr. Reagan, we'll uh, make sure we have a bio link uh, to your Point Park bio here on our site. So like I said, our audience can certainly follow along with you uh, and even reach out if they want to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. All right, so we are now at the points of the show. We're going to start to look at a few of the submitted questions that we got from our audience uh, number one, question number one is from a communication student. Uh, so one thing we're going to do a little bit differently now is I'm not going to read the student's name. I'm going to use the phonetic alphabet. Delta Sierra submitted a question that said, what do you feel are the most valuable traits of our generation? So in this case, I'm thinking, you said college students, so in that in that generational cohort. So what are, from your guys' perspectives, uh, some of the most valuable traits of our generation? Dennis, Angela, what do you think? Wow, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, even as a professor, I sometimes feel that, that, that generational gap's there. It's hard to connect, but um, I just think they're, the ability for them to I see this, they're thinkers, they're, they're, 
how do I want to put it? Um, I'm looking for a specific word. They're they're independent, is maybe what I'm saying. You know, independent of, of uh, our cultural norms um, is what I'm trying to get at. Is that uh, they have a different idea of the way the future is going to look. Um, they have a different way of approaching the future, and uh, it's pretty. Um, I don't know. It's not as uh, rigid as some of the past generations, I guess I would say. Like my generation would be, hey, you got to have a job. Well, first get married, job, give this, that, this, that. And I think this generation is more uh, open to, I don't know, I'm not sure. Maybe you guys can help me with this. I struggle a little bit. I'm a little bit older. And, um, but I'd say they're just more independent, more, uh, I don't know. What's the words I'm looking for? Help me out, guys. Help, help them out, I, Angela. I almost feel like I have a response that I that I'm going to say as well. But to to lean into what you're saying, I, I almost feel like they're a little bit like they're inquisitive. Um, I, th it's kind of like challenging status quo kind of things. Like I feel like they're inquisitive as to um, why traditions exist and do they still need to exist? Do they need to evolve? Um, so I, I like that, and I feel like sometimes the the younger generation gets a bad reputation for maybe always questioning or always asking why or always looking at the way that things used to be and looking at how they could evolve. But I, I tend to think that that's a good thing. I also think that um, a, another trait is one that maybe we're not seeing yet, but that will um, kind of evolve over the next couple of years, maybe decade is um, – and obviously all of us here in our different generations, you know, went through this pandemic together, but with different reflection. And I think that the younger generation is going to be able to leverage this um, rising from, you know, the, the pandemic in a way that hopefully can prepare us for the future to be a little bit more um, mentally cognizant of the impact there, um, leveraging um, different technology really to to kind of keep things moving forward and so i'm going to be curious to see how this younger generation really really rises from the pandemic because for some we're still you know in it and and feeling the ripple effect of it and so i think that it will take some time for the dust to settle and for the maturity to really evolve in the younger generation to then take what they've learned and make positive changes and then the, the lowest hanging fruit here, and I know that it's kind of a cliche to an extent when talking about the younger generation, but their their ease of understanding technology is always quite impressive to me, um, whether it is just even um, early adoption to new social media. Uh, I think that that's important, um, and, and I think that early adoption to other technology, uh, it can certainly be a value. So that's kind of where I'm at on that on this question. Yeah, I love the word inquisitive. Right. So, but it's inquisitiveness, but it's backed with a deep connection to what's happening around them. Like they're very present and they're aware. Uh, it, it's interesting that I've noticed this semester already where, you know, just in the answers that they would be giving me, it's not the typical responses about, you know, organizations or leadership or management. It's, you know, we think this way because our, the way we look at mentorship or the way that we, think or structure our day or the way that we tackle a problem is different than as Angelo said very respectably us older generations 
<laughs> as opposed to maybe even the generations behind them, right? So they they understand that there's 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 differences, and so to me again, that, and that's partly one of the reasons why I'm so excited is I think that inquisitiveness will then eventually translate into action. You know, once they start to really emerge from the pandemic and you know really step into their leadership roles as they mature. So I like it. That's awesome. Dennis, question number. Yeah, question number two is from Mike Romeo from the ASAEM program. And, you know, kind of the theme starting out this year for me anyway is about hair. So I'm growing some hair. Whoa! On my head and I'm growing oh. some hair on the face. Do you, yeah. I have not seen that in probably about five years. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen you without like a hat on. Yeah. So wow. here's the thing now. So the question though, it's not about me, but it's about one of our viewers' favorites. Is Angelo going to bring back the Mohawk in 2023? Well, it's kind of obvious of the answer, but don't he look good? I'm telling you, I can't do the Mohawk. It just won't go high enough, but Angelo what's looking good. I mean, you can't bring something back that never went away. So uh, the the mohawk has become kind of a personality trait for me. Um, it, it's also a small flex, you know. As I'm in, my, you know, I'm in my 30s now, and I'm really just, you know, kind of climbing up that age ladder. Part of it is a flex to to have a full head of hair from the front end all the way to the back without any spots. And so, yeah, it, 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 as long as I keep having this, you know, thick head of hair here, I'm gonna probably keep doing it. Um, so the Mohawk is here. It's a fresh cut. I cut it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, whenever the pandemic hit, you know, I used to go to a guy for years and years and years. And whenever the pandemic hit and all the salons and barbershops closed down, um, I went a couple months without getting a haircut. It, I looked terrible. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. So I've, I've honed in on the craft of Mohawks. I can't cut any other style. So if anybody wants a really good looking Mohawk, hit me up. You know, I come from the era, a, a different era from the 70s and the tail end of the 60s. But but uh, but again, I was the ponytail. You know, I had ponytail for a long time. Now all I can grow is a puny tail, but <laughs> I can't grow a ponytail anymore. So, <laughs> but but I, I was I thought about going back to the ponytail. My wife said, forget it, forget it. You'll never do it. Yeah, it'll be a puny tail. So. I appreciate uh, appreciate what you have and the ability to do it now because might not be able to later. I, I live in the moment every day with this mohawk. That's for sure. I never <laughs> take it never take it for granted. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to to now be um, facilitating this next question. I love these Q and A. So thank you, obviously, to everybody who submitted them. Uh, we've got Bravo Kilo here, which is a business management student. Uh, I love this question as I also teach um, a career prep class in the School of Business. Thank you, Patrick, always for those opportunities and to the School of Business. So the question is, is it okay to do multiple internships at the same company? A very, very good question. Dennis. Yeah, I, I my advice is to do as many internships you can within the same company or another company. But yeah, I think it's the more experience you can get and put on your resume, the more valuable a company will see uh, you are because you're going to gain uh, new skills. You're going to gain new knowledge. Um, I mean, 
to be honest with you, my whole life, I've been jumping on every, every opportunity I can to do something different. And that's how I got, well, not that I'm like president of the United States or anything, but you know, I wouldn't have gotten here where I'm at now without jumping into all those different opportunities. And again, they help, they help you grow. They help you um, develop into a uh, better business person or whatever, uh, whatever discipline you're in. So again, I think, yeah, I think it's healthy. I think it's good. Take every opportunity you can, whether it's with one or two or three, whatever organizations. Yeah. Thoughts, Angela. I do. I think like recently a buzzy kind of phrase and wording right now in, in careers and business is like this quiet quitting. Right. Um, I feel like loyalty to a company is becoming inconsistent and you're seeing a lot of people jumping ship at places and putting feelers out there. So in relation to doing multiple internships at the same company, in my opinion, I think that that is that that shows a little bit of loyalty. It shows growth and evolution. I think that it could look extremely valuable to future employers to show that you were invited back. I mean, that obviously you're not going to be invited back if you didn't do a good job the first time. And, and companies are always looking to get new people in the door. So for them to want to bring somebody back in, it means that they potentially aren't bringing in somebody new. And I, I just think it's a massive compliment. But ultimately, I mean, let's not forget um, that the goal is to take an internship or, or, or a co-op and, and evolve that into a career, right? So why not foster that with this company? If you are on the same page with them as they are with you and they're inviting you back, who knows? A, a, a first-time internship turning into a second-time internship could turn into a full-time job and career with benefits and 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 everything that that, that offers. So yeah, I, I would encourage it. And ultimately to echo what, what Dennis is saying, and, and I always say this to students, take every opportunity that you can right now, whether it's for credit, not for credit, more experience is better. Sometimes learning what not to do can be more valuable than learning what to do. So yeah, I'm all for this. Yeah, I agree. Good answers. Okay, question number four is coming from Alpha Hotel, who is a marketing and sales major. Have organizations changed for the better or worse as we emerge from the pandemic? That's a big one. Uh, and I'm sure you could probably take that in multiple ways. Uh, Dennis or Angelo, any any thoughts? It, from your lens? I mean, mine's going to be brief. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to tell yet. I don't know if we're far enough into the uh, post-pandemic um, to, to see what's actually happening or to understand who has uh, who is better and who is worse. But, but I would say that the, it's both. I think there are some companies that are worse off uh, in, in that, um, there are less opportunities for like the mom and pop right now. They really got nailed hard. And, uh, but I'd say the larger organizations, it's gotten better. They've learned how to adjust, how to, um, change their, uh, I don't know, their goals and their strategies to meet challenge. So I guess some of them have uh, come out better. Some have come out worse. I don't know. It's very hard on the small business person who does not have the, uh, what am I 
the, the ability to, um, they don't have the money to abstain or for sustainability. Here I go. I can't talk. I gotta get this checked. Um, but yeah, sustainability. So I don't know. Some again, it's a tough one to answer. The way that I look at this is, so the question is, have organizations changed for the better or for the worse post pandemic? The first thing that I would look at is have like look at a specific business or a sector or an industry. Have they changed? Period. I think should be the first thing that you're looking at because the pandemic warranted change. It warranted being fluid, it warranted um, thinking outside the box. So I think an easy way to just look at this is, is have certain businesses and organizations changed? Those who have not, you know, maybe they're, they're really feeling that negative impact. But at the same time, you're also seeing a lot of companies like Spotify, Twitter, Google, like these big tech, Amazon companies that, you know, really were trying to, uh, we, people leaned into these entities during the pandemic, Spotify, because people were at home listening to music needed an escape, Amazon, because people weren't going to stores to buy things, Google, because again, everybody's just leaning into technology, but now they're going through some pretty massive layoffs uh, and, and and they're letting people go because they overhired during these times. So, you know, one could argue like, is that positive or is that negative? I, to me, I feel like that that could be a little negative that what we're seeing is 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 this ebb and flow right now and i i i still feel like we we'll get a couple more ebbs and flows before we actually see um whether there is long term positive change or not but ultimately i would just be looking to see are people changing and change still needs to be happening too so it should be a fluid thing yeah i like i like that a lot and it's it's going to continue to evolve there's still a lot of instability um, but back, as you said, to the key questions, have they changed? And I think that's going to be the hallmark for somebody looking at, you know, whether you want to be employed by that organization or that industry in the respect of if they have not changed and they're still holding on to maybe those old ways of doing business or processes or procedures or cultures, it might be a little bit of a red flag, right? Because there's just so much that has happened and, you know, value systems are changing, market conditions are changing, industries are changing. And if an organization is not at least looking to change or going through the process of exploring what they need to do, um, then it might be something to consider if, if you really want to go to that place. Right. So can, yeah. can, I, can I add a question to that? I think, yeah. you know, it, first of all, the pandemic was about survival uh, for many organizations and those who did survive. So uh, I remember watching a movie. I can't remember what movie it was, but the only restaurant in the world was Taco Bell. Every restaurant was Taco Bell. And it was the only corporation that survived industry and so forth. So I, I, I don't know if it's fair to say that, um, you know, a lot of these, I, I see new businesses starting up, small businesses. I feel sorry for the mom and pop. They really didn't have a chance um, per se. Uh, they didn't even get. They didn't even given the. They didn't, weren't given the opportunity to change. Is what I'm getting at. So, is it fair to say that the? That's my opinion. Is it fair to say that the corporate world uh, is one the one that has gained the most from this? I would. I would almost disagree. I. I don't know okay. if I agree a hundred percent with that. Small business or small entrepreneurs didn't have an opportunity to change. I think their their challenge was the resources, the know-how, and the capacity to do so was a little bit more burdensome 
than perhaps a larger corporation that may have had more talent, industry, and resources to explore those new ideas, perhaps. Okay, I can accept that. At lunch, I'll, I'll probably punch you in your arm for disagreeing with me, but uh, that's okay. I'll just throw that, <laughs> I'll, I'll just chuck that apple with your head. <laughs> but, and also just around, uh, around the corner of, of this particular question, I also feel like, you know, we're at a stage right now of the pandemic and, and we got to look toward the present and the future as well. And I think that there's actually a ton of opportunity for these smaller businesses and entrepreneurs if they've made it through or um, sometimes, you know, just because a particular entity didn't make it through the, the, the people driving the idea or the vision you know, they could still be around. And maybe it's just a, a recalibration and a rebrand and something like that. Maybe it is now being an early adopter to some of these things that have come out of the pandemic. Um, it, it can kind of be a free-for-all right now. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to seize and 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 to kind of take the mentalities and the lessons learned through this process. So, and I just know talking to friends and peers very anecdotally uh, that, People want to give back to these smaller businesses now. We know that they they hit some of the resource, um, you know, deserts of of the pandemic, and and people just want to get back to some of that as well. So I think that there could be a little bit of a resurgence there. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, these big tech big tech companies overhired, and now they're letting people go. And so we might see a resurgence here in some of these smaller businesses. You see a lot of people like Etsy is so massive right now. People want to go. And just give to these independent creators. You see this in music where independent artists are really thriving. So, yeah, I think that it'll be interesting to see what people do with the opportunities that have been created through the pandemic. All right, Angelo, you have our last question, number five. God, and I love this question. It's from Sierra Golf, who is a cinema student. Love the diversity of programs in, in this class that you have, Patrick. Uh but the, the question is this, which is better, Genoa or San Remo pizza? I, I have a very strong opinion here. I, I um, So I, I I can wait to, to give that opinion to hear from both. Maybe we should. I don't want to give mine just yet. Where are you two at on this? So I'm not sure if Dennis has had Genoa pizza yet, but I know we've been to San Remo's pre-pandemic. But um, if I had to choose, I'm going to put myself out on the record as a San Remo's fan. Um, God bless you, Dr. Breslov. I know you love uh, Genoa's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, San Remo's, my original loyalty was there. So, Where's it located, San, San Remo's? Just right. It's on Market Street, right down from Genoa. You could see both like standing right outside of each other. They're, they're like they're staring at each other. I don't think I have. I don't know if I've eaten at either one. I don't remember. Well, we're going to have to push off your New Year's resolution yeah. and eat at them both the same day. At least yeah. a slice or two uh, from each and uh, see what happens. Uh, pizza's on my diet. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, I think that what really what needs to happen here for science, scientific purposes is, is we do yeah. need to, like on the podcast, all three of us need to do a taste test uh, and, and see. Uh, so I feel like we can make that happen easily. But, you know, yeah. me personally, I've had both and I have, I've actually, I have a, in my refrigerator, a box of pizza from Genoa from yesterday or something. So it's in there, but um, I, look, this is going to create some division here because I think, I think at large, 
the Point Park community, at least, and I'm speaking from like a the student perspective. I feel like the students love Genoa. Um, I, I, I just anytime there's like an on-campus event or something, it, it, this is what people want. They love the wings there. They love the the hoagies and the subs and the pizza, and they have all kinds of really good options. But I will easily go on the record, easily, and and be the, this this push of division that San Remo is superior to Genoa's. I love San Remo pizza. And you call, you're going to get a guy who sounds like literally he is in Italy talking to you. Like that's what right, it sounds right, like. Right. And, and I love that experience. You walk in and, and just the way that you think it would look is how it looks. And I don't know. There's just something about it. It's simple. It's, it's, they don't even have breadsticks at San Remo's. No. They don't need to because their pizza is that good. <laughs> the focus is on the pizza and the hoagies and anything else. Right? So, yeah. For a second there, honestly, I thought you were heading in the wrong direction. Right there, so. <laughs> but I do agree. I think there is certainly an opportunity here that we certainly need to um, make happen in the near future just uh, for scientific purposes. Absolutely. Concur. All right. That was where our questions. We do have one review slash question that came in from Zulu Mike from one of our listeners from Australia who wanted to know if we are going to be producing more episodes of the podcast in 2023. Angela, I'll let you take it. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> I, I think that it's a resounding yes. I know that there's been a lot of excitement from um, all three of us here at Take the Hill. And look, we didn't do a website, re uh, you know, refresher for nothing. Um, and I, I think that 2023 is going to be the year that a lot of people in creative spaces, um, podcasting, music, video, TV, uh, arts, crafts, I think that we're going to see a lot of resurgence here. A lot of people um, will take advantage of you know, kind of like the creative break that you mentioned earlier, Patrick, some there is burnout in content creation. There's no question about it. It can feel like a silo at times. It can feel like um, a lot of work, but I know I'm energetic and excited and I've loved the conversation that we have with Dr. Brinkman today. And, and these questions and answers have been quite entertaining. Fantastic. Any final thoughts uh, to add to that, Angela? I agree. Me or to Dennis? This is to me, a final thought. <laughs> See, we're working on that timing. <laughs> yeah. Final thoughts, Angelo. What do you think? Final thoughts. So my final thought here as we round out this episode is just to reiterate it, it feels good to be back. It is honestly really good to just have these conversations with both of you. Um, I look up to the both of you. I think you do great work at Point Park, at IUP, and, and everywhere in between. And it's just an honor to to ride the wave with you both. So I am stoked to be here. Can't wait for some of these future conversations that we're going to have. To any students that are listening, keep engaging with us. If you want to be involved, if you want to be on, hit us up and let us know. Keep your eyes open for these pop-up podcasts because those, I really feel like that embodies uh, at least my favorite things about Take the Hill is just the candid, authentic conversations and engaging the people that matter the most to us. And, and at least for me, that is the students. Awesome. Thank you, Dennis. All right. Well, uh, all I can say is it's just, it's, it's good to be back. I've had fun. Uh, I've missed it. Um, 
you know, you two guys are actually, you're the brains of this outfit and I'll just continue to be the good looks and, uh, and, you know, Hey, I just love doing it. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's just fun. So I missed it. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Likewise, like I said, Dr. Brickman, we're all greatly appreciative of her time this morning. And like I said, I think that was a great way to kind of kick off our 2023 campaign season journey, whatever we want to entitle it. But uh, likewise, I missed uh, the opportunity to be here and talk about these kind of interesting topics with each of you. Uh, my advice to Angelo is, you know what, you're one of us, man. You know, you're not looking up to us. I think we're we're looking right at you eye to eye. Uh, so it's a pleasure to to have you and, and, and always a part of the show. Same with you, Dennis. Um, I, I was really taken oh. aback by the hair there, but um, oh, you like your hair? Yeah. Maybe I won't wear a hat anymore. I, that threw me. I, I almost <laughs> lost my train of thought for a while there. But um, yeah, as Angelo said, you know, it's awesome to be back. We are excited at the many guests we have uh, lined up for this uh, this year. And, you know, as you said, your students in and around, regardless of what your major is, you know, like I said, keep an eye out. Uh, we're going to have some pop-up podcasts as well as some other uh, creative outlets we're going to be doing uh, this semester and, and even throughout the summer and the fall. But uh, look forward to seeing you on a future show. So see you soon. Everybody.